Sometimes when things go wrong, they turn out for the better. Now for years I've relied on my trusty Seafarer Echo Sounder. That's why I've also got a stick. And I knew something was up on a test sale in Marlin when my 1970s marvel of technology read a steady and constant four feet. Constantly. Nowhere on the East Coast is that deep. Now this was worrying, as unlike centreboarders with keels that pivot up on contact, the sailfishes lifts vertically in a trunk, and you really don't want to hit anything hard at speed. And yes, I know speed is a relative term for a snailfish, as detractors call them. But for once, the sages in the Queen's Head were no help at all. They have a deep distrust of anything more modern than rickets, and instead prefer to rely on their famous local knowledge. And you've got to respect that, because not one of them has ever, ever gone aground. Although on any weekend, you'll find dozens of proper long keelers expertly careened on muddy slopes to touch up their anti-fouling. And you'd be amazed at the remarkable heights scaled by some of the bilge keelers in search of the perfect anti-fouling spot. Of course, there are those who've embraced the more modern digital technology of lead lines, which are so prized around here they are often carried ashore and placed delicately in socks to protect them and muffle the blow. So, frankly, when it came to fathoming my echo sounder problem, I was out of my depth. And that's because the workings of seafarers are shrouded in the lost arts of mystic lore and alchemy. Some say they're even powered by myrrh, and that the little strobing red blip is a rare Peruvian male dung beetle striving forlornly to attract a mate. Now mine runs on a pagan PP9 battery, except on this occasion it didn't. And now here's the practical bit. The transducer sits in a tube which is supposed to be filled with magic oil. Instead, I'd used water for years because I'm a cheapskate. It had gone all rancid and gloopy, so I cleaned out the tube and put baby oil in it. No joy. Perhaps it wasn't mature enough. Corn oil didn't work either, nor extra virgin olive oil. Now this was getting costly, so I gave up. And then neighbour Steve traced the problem in two seconds to a loose connector on the coaxial cable. Duh. Now, through the shallow ray sand channel from the black water into the crouch, my old seafarer did fine work and gave me all the feedback I needed. But on the next leg, a shortcut into the Thames via the River Roach and through the lifting bridge that crosses to the MOD firing range on Farnes Island, it was out of its league. But fortunately, I had something much better on board. My mate, Tony Smith, also known as Creek Sailor. And he knows the Essex Creeks like commuters know the M25 and drinks tea the colour of mud. We were sailing in three foot, then two, as we probed the creeks on a rising tide, but with so little water, an echo sounder's not telling you anything useful. Instead, Tony traced the contours of the tannin-hued shallows with my sounding pole, which actually I'd never used before. 
Years ago, a sagely pal had made it for me and marked it with little red and black bands that correspond with no known measurement, metric or imperial. Of course, they could be cubits, perhaps, or some other biblical unit, but I'd lost the original manual. It was on a tablet, a stone one, I think. Now, I'd also picked the tide wrong. It was a neap, and the bridge keeper doubted we'd get through, but Tony smiled and told me to lift the keel right up and partially raise the rudder. And then I marvelled as Tony prodded with the stick and piloted Marlin through a serpentine labyrinth concealed by water the colour of tea. Yes, we were actually sailing in one foot of water and we didn't touch once. And all the time Tony calmly intoned the depths in his own special units of measure that he devised for our tetly toned waters. Two cups, three cups, four, he recited. It was a mark of his skill that we never ever got down to a saucer. He can read the messages in a teacup better than Gypsy Rose Lee. And with three feet, and the keel partially lowered again, the seafarer took over until we picked up a boy in Thorpe Bay, swam, then paddled on the sands, drank tea and walked ashore as Marlin took the grounds. A perfect day. Tony went home that night, but he left me with a very precious gift and a wonderful memory. The following morning, just as Marlin lifted on the tide and tremored, I did something I'd never done before, I'd never dared. Prodding with my magic many-coloured cane, I sailed off in one foot of water, a little less than four cups, as Tony calls it, and then I twigged. Those red and black bands on my sounding cane were each three and a half inches long, the exact height of the ideal tea mug. <laughs>